0: So imagine with me, if you would, for a moment, um, a young child, say a three-year-old, climbing up a rock wall. If you've been to the YMCA in shirts, you know, they've got that big rock wall right when you enter in. And uh, imagine a a three-year-old climbing the rock wall, not quite tall enough to reach the next rock that juts out, not quite big enough to really get up. And imagine that that three-year-old, precocious as he or she is, is going up without any rope or harness attached at all. Uh, They think that they can handle this, that they can do it on their own. Now, let's say the three-year-old gets maybe a third of the way up, a fourth of the way up, halfway up, but they're far enough up to where if they fell, things are not going to be pleasant for the child or the parents of the child or probably anyone in the YMCA with the screaming that's going to ensue. And let's say that they begin to hang on the wall and you can see the sweat droplets begin to appear and the arms begin to shake. And mom or dad standing down below the child says, okay, it's time to come down now. And the child says, I can do it. Leave me alone. I'm good to go. I can make it. Don't you dare try to take me down from this wall. All the while, you know, you can almost see them beginning to hang and clench by their fingernails, about ready to give way and smack their heads 8, 10, 12, 20 feet below. If you are in that situation as a mom or as a dad, what is your response going to be? That's not a personal narrative, Thankfully. I haven't yet been in that situation. But sometimes, sometimes the appropriate response, both for the parents and for the child in that situation, is to know that sometimes the best thing you can do is recognize your own limitations. Sometimes the healthiest step for you to take is to know that you can't handle what's coming for you in life on your own. That's really what Jesus is saying to us here as he begins in Matthew chapter 5 to speak in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we saw as we began this new series in the first few chapters of Matthew's gospel called Following Jesus, that Jesus gathers disciples and almost immediately we see at the end of chapter 4 begins to attract big crowds. People are flocking to him left and right. You can see it there at the very end of chapter Chapter 4 of Matthew, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's doing amazing teaching, and the crowds are coming, man. It's a church growth movement. We're seeing renewal and revival. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, we read what Jesus does, and it's really interesting and really counterintuitive. We read, seeing the crowds, he went up, or he went away, onto the mountain. Jesus saw the growth, he saw the people, he saw the crowds, and what did he do? He left. Jesus was never a crowd-pleaser and a people-gatherer primarily. And so what he does here is leave, and he takes his disciples with him, we see in verse 1, and he begins to speak to them. And what he speaks to them, they're sitting on the mountain, is probably the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it covers Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And what we're going to do in the next few weeks is look just at the few first verses of this sermon, which are called the Beatitudes. Jesus tells us what Christy just read is... nine characteristics of kingdom life, nine aspects of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And the first one is what we're going to look at tonight, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to ask and answer three questions, okay? What does that mean? Why does it have to be that way? And how do we do it? What does that mean? Why does it have to be that way, and how do we do it? But the main idea is this. Only those who know that they have nothing to give can receive the kingdom. Only those who know that they have nothing to give can receive the kingdom. Okay? So let's look at this text and see what the Spirit has for us tonight. First, what in the world does this mean? When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, a lot of ink from a lot of guys that are a lot smarter than me has been spilt on what that means. And the big question is, is this referring to to sort of a spiritual poverty or to a, a material actual poverty, like to real poor people? And the way I would answer that question is to say, yes, it's referring to both primarily at least, it seems here, that it's at least referring to those who are poor spiritually. I mean, after all, he adds that qualifying phrase there in verse 3. Look at it. Poor in spirit. But in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke simply says, that Jesus says, blessed are the poor, period. So I think there's also an aspect to which Jesus is referring to actual material poverty here. And furthermore, the word that's used there in the original language, poor, is not just a word for... You know, the peasant class in the ancient world. That is a word that had significant socioeconomic parameters around it. It meant the poorest of the poor. Uh, Like the untouchables of India. It referred to an entire social class that was ostracized from society. The word literally means those who are crouched over. Um, When Jesus said, blessed are the poor, he's saying, blessed are the bent over beggars of this world. So Jesus said, blessed, happy are those who are the poorest. Blessed are the biggest beggars in the broad universe. Why? What does that mean? The reason that the poor both in spirit and materially are oftentimes blessed or oftentimes able to receive the kingdom first is because the poor before anyone else have a profound understanding of their own need The poor, you see, are able to understand oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes before those who have wealth and who have means. The poor are often able to understand what is true and what is real about the world in which we live. And what is true and what is real about the world in which we live is this. You cannot handle things on your own. You do not have the resources inherently to fix all of the problems that you're facing in life. Poor people oftentimes get that before others. They more quickly come to a place of significant dependence. And Jesus is saying, that is exactly where I want you. Now, isn't this remarkable, by the way, that that Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount by saying, bless her to the poor? I mean... Listen, he's got his his ministry team around him, the disciples, and they're getting ready to go. They've got a lot of momentum. And and you would think, if I were in charge, I would have said, here's our strategic vision. We've got this initiative, and we've got this initiative, and here's our vision, big picture. Let's go, let's go win the world, let's go bring the kingdom, let's do it. Come on, come on, come on. But Jesus says, if you're really, really, really poor, things are going to go well for you. That's when you're ready to enter into the kingdom. Again, Jesus is not the type of leader that we would have expected, but it says something very, very important to us. Listen, if you're here and you want to know something about Christianity, if you're here and you want to know something about who Jesus is, if you're here and you want to understand the gospel, then you need to get that one of the first steps in Christianity, one of the first steps in faith is recognizing the abundance of your own poverty, recognizing the depth of your need. And until you recognize the abundance of your poverty, you cannot enter the kingdom. That's what it means. So second, why does it have to be that way? Why does it have to be the poor, the spiritually poor and oftentimes the material, materially poor, those who get this first, why does it have to be those who have a poverty of spirit who enter the kingdom? Here's why it has to be that way. The reason it has to be that way is because you have to come to the end of your rope before you will recognize the seriousness of your own need. And you know that's true, don't you? You don't draw on resources outside of yourself, and I don't draw on resources outside of myself until I first depleted all of the own resources that I have. I don't look for the great manager of this universe to manage my affairs until I come across an issue that I know I can't manage. You're not going to understand that you need someone outside of yourself until you reach a certain level of spiritual and oftentimes material poverty, you see. Listen, the kingdom can only be received and that's why the poor in spirit are the ones that enter it. You see, poor people, people who know they're on own need, are the people that are able to receive things. This kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking of here cannot be earned. It cannot be merited. It cannot be bought. It can only be given to you by God. And the only way you're ever going to receive it is when you know you don't have the resources to purchase it on your own. I just finished watching um, Breaking Bad. If you haven't seen Breaking Bad, um, you should watch it. It's a great show. It's pretty dark, but it is incredible. And when I finished it, I was in a dark place for about three days. But I'm out of it now, and I think it was a great show. But Breaking Bad is about um, a guy named Walter White, who's a high school chemistry teacher that gets cancer. And uh, this cancer cancer is terminal. It's life-threatening. And he doesn't have the resources, the insurance, to pay for the chemotherapy that's required. And so what he does is he starts cooking methamphetamines and selling them to make money. Interesting show. Um, One of the interesting things about the show, though, is very, very early on, after Walter White has been struck with cancer, given this diagnosis, he has a couple of friends that are former business associates that have become exceedingly wealthy. I mean, super, super rich, like Fortune 100 company level rich. willing in the show to be benefactors to him. They're willing to pay completely 100% for all of his surgery, for all of his chemotherapy, for all of the procedures that he needs, for all of the physical, for everything. And what does Walter White do? This is an early turning point in the show's narrative. He says, there is no way I'm taking a single cent from those people. There's no way I'm going to admit my own need. I would rather get into the drug trafficking business than tell people that I can't figure this out on my own. Things quickly unravel for Walter White, but he's telling us something there that's true, really, of all of us to some degree or another. We don't like to admit that we really are poor in spirit, but until we can admit our own poverty, we will never experience poverty in the way Jesus wants us to. You see, it has to be this way it has to be this way because we have to come to the end of our own ropes before we will feel the freedom to let go. <laughs> so we're, we're in many ways like that three-year-old child climbing up on the rock wall. And we've reached a spot. For some of us, it's a quarter of the way up. For some of us, it's a third of the way. For some of us, you know, we might be 90% of the way up. But we've reached a spot where we know we cannot go one step, one rock, one climbing level further up. And in many ways, reaching that spot is reaching the place where God is wanting to begin working on your hearts. Are you at that spot? What's happening in your life right now that is causing you to come to the end of your rope? Maybe it's your financial situation. You just cannot make enough income to take care of your expenses. Maybe you see the debt snowballing so big that you just see no way out. Maybe for you it's, just the relational thermonuclear explosion that has happened in your life of late. You you feel like the closest people that were closest to you have turned against you or you've turned against them, and there's been a major breakdown relationally, and you simply don't know what to do next. Maybe it's a future decision should I move here or stay? Should I take this job or not? Should we have another baby or not? Should we try to start having babies or not? Should I marry this person or not? And you really just don't have clarity. Maybe it's some big, big, big moral failure that you've done Maybe that you've done repeatedly that no one else knows about, that you're too ashamed to tell anybody of, that you feel overwhelming guilt over, and you don't know how to deal with it. Listen, if you find yourself tonight in a situation where you don't know where to go, where you're at your wit's end, where you're at the end of the rope, know that that is not God's cursing. It's God's blessing. That is God's beginning to pry your fingers off of the rock wall one by one until you finally will simply fall. Not to your death, but into his loving arms because it's only those who know that they can't go any further who can enter into relationship with Jesus in his kingdom. Let me inverse that. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not ready to admit your poverty of spirit, and then enter the kingdom. How do you know? If you're here and you're thinking, as I speak, you know it would really, really be good for my father-in-law to hear this sermon. I got some smirks. I know. If you're here and you're thinking, man, I, I know I was having a conversation with a guy this week. That Man, I wish I had brought him tonight. He needs to hear this. If you're here and you're thinking of anyone, and I include myself, if we're here thinking of anyone right now other than ourselves, you are not yet ready to enter the kingdom. You're not poor enough. If you're here and you're thinking, really, Luke, no, really, you don't get it. I'm really doing fine. Like, I don't have... Any of those situations you just named, things are going pretty well for me. I haven't yet reached the end of my rope. You know, I'm, I really don't even need religion. It's okay, but it's just sort of a box in the many boxes that make up my life. Things are going all right. If that's where you are and that's what you're thinking, you're not yet ready to enter the kingdom because you aren't yet poor enough. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, maybe you're here and you're thinking, um, you know, uh, I think that I, I kind of get this, but, but really when I, when I look at my life, you know, there's, there's some people that for sure are doing better than me, that are more spiritual than me, that have better relationships with Jesus than me, that are better Christians, but there's some people that I think I'm probably doing better than. And, and if you are continuing to stratify all of your existence so that all of the relationships in your life make up, you know, there's two big groups of people, there's the better than me's and there's the I'm better than them's. And your whole existence is made up of making sure that you have more better than, more I'm better than them's than you do better than me's. If that's where you are, if that's the way your mind works, then you're not yet ready to enter into the kingdom because you aren't poor enough. Only those who know that they bring zero to the table, only those who understand that when it comes to the kingdom of God, your contribution is nil. Only those who know that they can't go one inch further up the rock wall of life without falling. Only those who are willing to finally let go and say, I cannot take this or do this anymore are those who are ready to experience life in God's kingdom. How do we do that? That's the money question, right? If I knew the exact right answer, I wouldn't be here preaching. I'd be probably off doing it. Uh, I don't know the exact right answer, but I have some ideas. Two things. How do we do this? How do we receive or believe or live in the poverty of spirit that will enable us to enter and move further into the kingdom? Two things real quick, okay? First, you must accept your own poverty. You must accept your own poverty. You must realize what is true about yourself and what is true about the world. And it's the exact things we've just been speaking of. Let me just tell you two quick stories to illustrate this point. Because Jesus talks about this all the time. And in Luke chapter 18, he tells two stories back to back almost that beautifully illustrate what it means for us To realize, to accept our own poverty. First, in Luke 18, he tells a story. And he says, Luke tells us, that Jesus told this parable, listen, to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. In other words, to people who did not yet have poverty of spirit. Jesus told them this story. Here's what he said. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. There's the stratifying all of existence. (laughs) He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This guy's super religious. He's a really, really good churchgoer. But, Jesus says, the other guy, the tax collector, standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what it looks like, you see, to accept, to accept your own poverty. When you come before God and say, what will it take for me to enter the kingdom? The only possible response is to fall on your knees and say, God, please show me mercy. Second story, directly after this one, Jesus tells a story. Uh, actually, he's not, this isn't a story. He's approached by a guy called the rich, we don't know his name. The Bible calls him the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, and this guy's imp- impressive, this guy's religious, this guy's wealthy, this guy has, he has got a lot of cards going for him. He is doing well. People look up to him. If he's stratifying his existence, there's not many better than me's in his world. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I got to do? I got money. I'm religious. I got a beautiful wife. My kids are obedient. I'm doing great. I give more than 10% of my income to the church. I went on three mission trips last year. What do I got to do? What Tell me. What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing his heart, says, obey all the commandments. And he says, I've done that. Check. Good to go. What else you got? And this is not coincidental. Jesus says, become poor. Look what he said. He said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, the kingdom, and come follow me. And Luke says, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him with sadness and said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler had not yet come to the place where he could accept his own poverty. You must accept your own poverty. Second, you must accept Jesus' poverty. You've got to accept your poverty, and you've got to accept Jesus' poverty. And the reason why you have to accept Jesus' poverty is because you're never fully going to accept yours. (laughs) You're never going to get to the place where you can really fully say, I have zero percent that I'm bringing to the table in my relationship with God because you're too proud and I'm too proud, we're too broken, we're too fallen, but there is one person in the history of the universe who did reach that place, Jesus. Jesus is, in many ways, the most poor in spirit human who has ever lived, which is ironic because Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, and which is also ironic because Jesus is God. And yet, Jesus, as God, was willing to become poor in spirit, to empty himself, as Philippians chapter 2 says, to take on the form of a servant, because Jesus knows that you can never do that. But he did it. And so, for you to really have the kind of poverty that you need... And enter into the kingdom, you must see that you can't bring anything to the table, but you also must see that Jesus, who brought everything to the table, was willing to bring nothing to the table so that you could bring something to the table in Him. That makes sense? Jesus brought everything, He gave it all up, made Himself nothing, so that you could finally be something. And the way that you accept Jesus' poverty is simply by trusting, not in your own righteousness, not in your own abilities, not in your own efforts in scaling the rock wall of your life, but in simply looking to the Christ who has already done it all, 100%, totally for you, free of charge. One of the great hymns of the Christian church, an old hymn, called Rock of Ages, summarizes beautifully the point of what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. At one point, I think it's the second stanza, the the hymn writer says, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, I come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, savior or I die. Until we can sing that song with full faith in our hearts, we can never enter into the kingdom. But the good news is, the good news is that Jesus has done everything that's required already. You simply must see that you need him. Let's pray.